for me, the theme throughout the movie was kind of like this, not humility, but like thinking that you're not good enough, like the inspir the aspiration to be good enough. You know, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I tried and that was my attempt. You gave me your best shot. Thanks. And I appreciate that. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And today I finally watched The Disaster Artist. So David, you and I watched The Room. I I should say I made you and your wife watch The Room. You did. And uh, I already kind of warned warned you about it. And I think it's a movie to be be warned about. Um, It's not good. But what what did you think of The Room the first time I showed it to you? Oh, no, it's not good. Um, And I think my what my thoughts were, were verbalized as we watched it were just tons of questions of why things were done the way they were done. Um, and one of my favorite parts of the disaster artist is uh, Franco and his crew also verbalized the questions I had, and I guess we'll get to it throughout talking about it. Um, kind of shocked. Um, and it's really this like whole, the room is like this whole world that you like delve into once you watch it. And I guess you can decide how much you want to stay in that world and how much you want to get out of it. Cause there's some people that, you know, go to these midnight showings and try and meet Tommy Wiseau. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how he's become famous off of, off of something that's so horrible. And in fairness to him though, I've seen worse, but his was also bad. Um, you know, what was, what's interesting though, is like, I feel like uh, critics, people you know who have their own like uh video essays on youtube about films and and even podcast talk the hell about the room um and i thought you know we could do that but i think an interesting perspective on talking about the room is actually focusing on the movie made about the guy who made the room and like what that took to, to get there. Um, and you, you have to assume not everything in the disaster artists is true to maybe what happened, you know, embellishments or little things might've not been so much the same. But I think when you watch the room and you kind of understand how things came to be, the disaster artist almost gives you like a peace of mind being like, Oh, that's okay. That's why, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I agree. Exactly. It kind of, as I was saying, it explains the things that seem inexplicable about the room. Um, And it's just like, it's, it's a movie that's done fairly well. And so it's a lot more watchable than the room, obviously. But also, it's if you've seen The Room and you watch this, it kind of, it brings you back to this thing that, in, in our case, kind of brought us joy. Like, it was a fun night watching The Room. Um, and it takes you back to that, but you're watching a much more enjoyable version. <laughs> right. Um, um, and I think what, what kind of, like, glues these two versions together, as you call them, like The Room version and the Disaster Artist version, is the character of Tommy in the disaster artist played by James Franco. 
and the character of Johnny, uh, played by Tommy Wiseau, are basically the same character. And I think they make a point in The Disaster Artist to kind of like, you know, make that obvious. But it, it really, I think, Tommy Wiseau as a, as a person, as a character, holds these two movies uh, together. Right. And I think, too, you know, the, the advertising for this was pretty much everywhere when this, when this came out. And there was kind of a big push for awards. And so in the beginning of this, when they reveal uh, James Franco as Tommy Wiseau and the, the, uh, the makeup and prosthetics are pretty amazing um, and his mannerisms and the way he, he, his acting in this is great. But the reveal is almost kind of not ruined, but it's not as impactful because you've seen so much of this from the advertising before you actually get into the movie. Um, but, it, but it's still, you know, it's still great throughout just seeing it like spending all this time watching him kind of embody this this character that we know yeah i I wonder like to more to your point is would it have been better not so much like shock value just been like a mystery behind who was playing tommy wiseau like if they really like who was playing him we don't know you're gonna have to go see this and find out and then it's James Franco under hours of prosthetics. Like, would that have been a, a cooler reveal to do it that way? I wonder. Right. And you know, it's also like the way this movie paints Tommy Wiseau is kind of interesting because in the beginning, he almost makes like a lot of sense. You know, Greg comes to him after seeing Tommy do a horrible scene in an acting class and asks him if he wants to be a scene partner. And then they go to this diner and Tommy gives really great advice for what Greg needs, which is like, you know, you can't care what people think if you're gonna be an actor. And obviously Greg, you know, especially at that point, wasn't really cut to be an actor, but if you're going to do that, you need to not care so that you can give like the performance necessary. And that's like great advice. And it like, they kind of show it very quickly, like working, but then in the end, when he runs, the way he runs the movie set, he's like a complete asshole and dictator, as he calls himself. And so it's interesting to know that the real person has seen this and how he's able to maybe distance himself from it by saying, you know, it's, it's, it's fictionalized a little bit um, is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Usually when you, when you see these biopics about certain directors or famous people it's about people who either have really built this extraordinary career over decades and decades of their lives um, or it's about people who have built this extraordinary career over decades and decades of their lives that have passed away and for Tommy Wiseau to be so I guess new to the scene um, I think this movie was made back in like 2003 or it premiered back in 2003 and he kind of became a cult classic. I, I've heard of, I think I heard of him back in like 2011, 2012. And I think that's when he started to really pick up or the room really started to pick up. So I would say the last eight years, he's really, you know, his name has been um, 
kind of in the in the atmosphere but the room as a cult a classic movie that people adore to hate you know love to hate um it's odd seeing this kind of i'm not gonna say he's a young guy but you know in this case to see a whole biopic about him right and and the also the interesting way that this is done too is it's mostly from the point of view of greg sestero you know his young buddy baby face friend mm-hmm. um and although you kind of when we were talking about it earlier you said that it, it sort of does switch a little bit and it does like it it doesn't have like a the, the point of view changes kind of throughout the movie like you know sometimes you have like a third person omniscient point of view that kind of sees everything and that's i guess what this would be but you know the movie starts being from greg's perspective and then towards the end kind of you know you have scenes with just tommy and from his perspective and then it sort of goes back to greg but you know going back to a little bit talking about the way tommy's portrayed in this i almost think greg's portrayed worse in a way because when you see tommy and you've seen the room you almost think something's off about him. And so like you give some leeway to him, but you don't necessarily give that same leeway to Greg. And there's things in here where like, and it may be just Franco's acting or maybe the way that James, you know, Dave Franco's acting, or it may be the way that, uh, you know, the screenplay was written and James Franco directed it. But Greg stands up for Tommy a lot of times in this movies in ways that don't really, you know, make sense. He's like, tells people like, Oh, he has a vision and he likes to think outside the box. Like when they're buying the movie equipment instead of renting it and when they're doing digital and film. Um, You know what I think that is though, I think to a certain point, and I think maybe even more so later on, because you know, when we get to the point in the movie where it's like day 52 of, of 40, filming which is one part that i really liked about the the movie um like the timeline but when there was no ac and no water and people were like fainting on set you could see greg kind of coming to his wits end with tommy but right before that when he's still sticking up for the guy like especially in front of his girlfriend i think it's not so much that he believed in in Tommy's vision at that point, but it was more so like, hey, I'm my name is kind of synonymous with this guy. And if he looks bad, I'm going to look bad. So I kind of have to cover my ass by, in a way, covering his. Yeah, but then there's, you know, points even before that of like, he read the script. Did he is there any way that he could have thought that that script was good? I, I, you know, because in the movie they portray that um, Tommy didn't want any changes to the script, the dialogue, anything. So Greg read this and is like, Oh, this is great. And he's like, you want me to be the lead? Like the second lead? Oh, like I would love to have this part, which I don't necessarily think is how it went in real life. But like those type of things make it like make Dave Franco's portrayal, like, almost more awkward than Tommy's to me. Yeah. And, you know, like, this is kind of what I was talking about with the 
different direction of, of you know, because the, disa the Disaster Artist was based on a book written by Greg Sestero. So the fact that the movie is from his point of view makes sense. However, there are things that happen in real life that I think the book covers and then, you know, adapted to the movie version is embellished or changed. Like, I think you're the one who told me that Greg's primal role in the room uh, wasn't necessarily to be actor, but more of a behind the scenes producer. Right. Yeah. He was going to be like a, like a, not line reader, but he was going to, he had some part and then he, uh, you know, he didn't want to be in this and then he agreed to be in it. And then I was actually reading in an AMA with him um, with the real Greg Sestero. And he, he was asked if he actually thought this was going to be good. And he said he thought it was never going to get released <laughs> or that like no one was ever going to see this. So it's not something he had to worry about. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Like doing just a little bit of reading online, like, cause Greg is not shy about talking about himself or this experience, which, you know, who would be? Cause I mean, you know, it's so hard to break into that, into acting and so if you found something that can make you some money or give you some notoriety like you know more power to you um but that does make it really hard to know what to trust from this movie you know one thing we talked about when you and i first watched it uh a couple days ago was the brian cranston scene right and i think you told me that that was kind of real but then reading up on it it's not it's not no, so there was no there was no Malcolm in the middle role. Apparently, there was some role that Greg was maybe offered and then he didn't get because of time. Like that, it's very weird. Like I'd have to read the book and maybe it's talked about more in there. But um, yeah, on the AMA, Greg Sestero says that he's never he didn't meet Brian Cranston until the Disaster Artist was made. That he was really happy that he got to meet him at that point. Um, so that, yeah, there's just like a a bunch of little stuff here and there that I, I almost wish they had stuck more to the facts of this because it's so fucking crazy anyway. Well, you know, I, I, it's just like, it's so specific. I think that's why I thought the, the Brian Cranston scene was real because it's so specific to who he was, what Malcolm in the middle was at, during that time. And I was like, all the, you know, maybe it was like Seth Rogen is friends with him or James Franco is friends with him. And they pulled, you know, they pulled him for like this five second scene. Um, but there is some truth, like you were saying, to certain things like, all right, maybe it wasn't Brian Cranston. Maybe it didn't go down in a, in a bakery like that. But, you know, definitely Greg probably gave up a few minor roles for Tommy, for, you know, the shaving of the beard, et cetera, et cetera. What's interesting to me, though, is would he, would we know right now the name of Greg Sestero if it, if it wasn't for The Room, if it wasn't for Tommy Wiseau? Would he have been an extra in this, like, you know, early 2000s TV show? Would he have been an extra in this TV movie? Yada, yada, yada. And then like found notoriety through there? Maybe? I think, I think a related question to that is like, could he have been a good actor and did the room hurt his career in that respect? 
and I think by watching the room, you would say, of course, of course not. Um, but also what you get from the room and the disaster artist is the dialogue is so horribly written. Um, one of my favorite examples is when Josh Hutcherson is asking like, can I just call him Chris? Why do I have to call him Chris R? Uh, which is like one of the funniest, it's probably one of the funniest scenes in the movie. Like Efron is so amazing in that role as Chris R. Just <laughs> practicing off to the side, like, I like, I, that's one of my favorite scenes. But just like, that's an example of like where the dialogue makes no sense. And then the uh, Lisa's mom saying, I got the test results back. It's definitely breast cancer. Right. Instead of like, yeah, the results says I have. It's like, what does that even mean? Right, right, right. But then it's not even like, you know, the actress makes a point in the movie. Uh, does it ever come up again? Is it a plot point that, you know, that has something to do with, with the movie and it, and it doesn't? Um, and it's just to like, he put it in there. You know, if one thing I really found interesting was how he, in The Disaster Artist, how Tommy Wiseau was portrayed directing his actors by not really a feeling or a mood or like a, a direction of emotion, but just sh by sheer intensity of how they go into the scene. And it almost seems like this melodramatic overacting uh, way of, of going through the lines is like the thing that Tommy really like liked and understood on how acting worked, which it doesn't. Um, no, right. I, I agree. And I think we should maybe start going through the movie a little bit chronologically because, and I said this to you earlier, but the first 39 minutes of this movie, they're not making the room. Right. And it's not my favorite part of this. Um, but once they may start making the room, it's excellent. But there are still some things like from the beginning of this I love. Um, the football scene of James Franco throwing a football, which apparently one of Tommy's uh, major gripes with this movie is that he, he said he doesn't throw a football that horribly. Like he <laughs> can throw it better than that. But I love the part where uh, he's like about to kick it and, and – and Greg's like, well, what, what are we doing here? What, what, what's <laughs> happening? And he kicks in and yells touchdown. Yeah. Like, that seems great. I also do love the you're tearing me apart James Dean scene. Right. Where they show that clip from the movie. And, like, that's one of those things that's like, you know, we, talk, we were talking the other day about how um, the movie Solo, the Han Solo remake, like, Disney was very, like, too cute with the way they kind of, like, winked and, and nodded at people for, like, oh, your name's Chewbacca? I'm going to call you Chewy. Like, almost like you're breaking the fourth wall and looking at the fans like that's for you. But the explanation of, like, where you're tearing me apart, Lisa, which is, like, one of the most famous lines from the room, where that came from was, like, that just made me, like, so happy to know that. I think, too, because it happened... I feel like that part was real. I feel like they were big James Dean fans. I mean, how how could that line from A Streetcar Named Desire fall perfectly into the actual, the room. Especially in the beginning when you first meet Tommy, you know, doing a scene from the same James Dean film, you know, the big, 
intense Stella part, you know? Uh, having James Dean and his movies run through as almost like a, a theme, almost like a, a reminder of, of what good movie making and what good acting comes from to be kind of like a main point that kind of lights the fire under Greg and, and Tommy, you know what I mean? Wait, so it was also funny. I think I read somewhere that Tommy actually wanted Johnny Depp to play him, but the reason he, not that he had, I don't, I don't know that he had like a complete say in it, but one of the reasons he became happy that James Franco was going to do it is because James Franco has played James Dean in a role before. And he was like, all right, yeah, this, that's great. That's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forget, totally forgot about that, but that makes, that makes too much sense. But, but one of my favorite scenes is when they go out to like where the crash site of, of uh, where James Dean died. And Tom, uh, Tommy says something to Greg, like, one day I hope we're like this. And Greg's like, dead on the side of the road. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, like not, no, no. <laughs> hopefully not dead. Yeah. Um, my my favorite other scene um, before we get to the making of the room was the Judd Apatow scene. Oh, that just was really cringe to me. <laughs> it, it was, but I love before Tommy gets over there, you hear Judd Apatow just talking about how Jar Jar Binks really worked for him in the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> right. But then explaining that it was all action and no plot, which is like not, a, not exactly what that movie was. <laughs> And then I love, um, is this gentleman bothering you? And he's like, what the fuck do you think? (laughs) You got through two acts of Shakespeare before you could get your ass over here. (laughs) Yeah, you got through two fucking acts. Yeah, that that part was really funny. And it it also just made me think, like, is Judd Apatow a real asshole in real life? I I don't think so, but it was just, he played it so well. And whenever, whenever someone plays an asshole too well, you're always like, is that a little bit of you? A little bit, a little bit of you in there. Yeah, I, I could, I could see it not even be acting. <laughs> they just filmed him. Yeah, it's just like you know how you always say to me, like, oh, I, I can't imagine this, this filmmaker having like that kind of budget. They probably just went to that college and Ben Stiller fought on that college campus, or they just, you know, uh, yeah, that's real. That's how Baumbach does it. Right, right, right. But <laughs> just imagine Judd Apatow having dinner and James Franco in his full Tommy Wiseau get up just harasses him. I'm just sure Judd Apatow just has like, he has his rate for when he appears in your movie, but then maybe it's just a discount rate. If he can just be an asshole, like we just need the Judd Apatow asshole rate and then we'll, <laughs> then we'll be fine. Oh, I can, um, I can scream at, at random celebrities. Okay. Yes. Yes. Perfect. And the last funny part to me was uh, Mark Damon and the talented Ripley man. Yeah, which is how I describe movies, honestly, because I can never get the actor right, and I'm always messing up the title. My dad, for the longest time, uh, called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, like 10 Ways to Lose Your Man, <laughs> and he could never remember the title of it. Uh, <clears throat> once, the, once the filming got started, we've already mentioned how like Efron was just amazing in this. Right. And he's almost just like... I love at the end too when the other guy talks to him. It's like, oh, I was in this movie too. He's like, oh, cool, man, good, good for you. But his his the the scene with the gun and um, Josh Hutcherson like is great. But the one thing I noticed, especially upon second watch, is this is probably like 
one of my favorite Seth Rogen movies, like performances in a while. Right. He's like very subtle, not over the top, but all of his lines are just fucking fire. Like so funny every single time he speaks. I think Seth Rogen has a lane. And it's kind of this, like, you know, seeing him and James Franco in, in something like the Pineapple Express and then seeing them in something like this, you you get a sense of, like, nostalgia for them being in a movie together. But because it's actually, like, I don't know, like a dramatic role, but still a comedy, you're right. It, it works really well for him. You know, before we get much more into, um, I think you're leaning into the making of uh, The Room at this point, I want to talk about the very, very, very beginning of this movie, The Disaster Artist, because it it kind of took me uh, out of it right from the start. And then I was like, okay, this is what this movie is. But I'm talking about the interviews with the different celebrities. What, what did you initially think about the very beginning when it was like the talking heads? It was just like John Krasinski or uh, who was it? Who were, who were all the... J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams, Seth Meyers. I think you haven't named a real person in this yet. I don't think I have either. But it was just a bunch of... Oh, um, uh, Kristen Bell. That's, that's a real, that's one. Um, she was in it. She was in it. What did you think about that part? I thought it was funny. Um, it's like, I don't necessarily know. I don't think it was necessary. I don't know that it adds much, but it is a funny beginning to it. I think the purpose of that is to set this up for people who may not necessarily know what a big phenomenon the room was or not have a whole lot of background on it. And also, especially, too, if they really have no idea to just set it up. Oh, it's this amazing movie I've never heard of. And then the surprise when they watch The Disaster Artist, I think that would probably be highly effective. Um, but for me, like, it's funny, but, you know, it's not anything I needed. Um, I also, there were, like, several celebrities that did it and got cut. And I was just, like, I, I think I'd be pretty annoyed if, like, my friends asked me to do something like that. And then, like, you couldn't even leave me in. Oh, who who got cut? Uh, Zach Braff did one. Um, I forget. There's a couple others that were that were in there, um, but he's the one that I remembered. I you know I think you're absolutely right about that scene being for people who maybe haven't haven't seen it because you know I talked to you about this movie being. Um, it's kind of like the sequel to The Room in, in a way that you have to have watched The Room to fully and utterly appreciate the, the disaster artist. Um, and for people who kind of just walk in this blind and seeing this first celebrity interview thing, I, I agree with you. I could see it taking people being like, oh my God, what is this, you know, a tour we're about to learn the life of, you know? I've never heard of this Tommy Wiseau, you know, and, and for it to be this type of movie about this type of guy, looking at it from a person who has never seen it before, the opening is kind of like the perfect opening. Right. No, yeah, I agree. Um, and, and it does, it does work 
in that way. All right, so let's talk about the fun part. Um, I think the next scene that I really liked is, uh, and this is a Seth Rogen again, but him cashing the check in the bank and mm-hmm. just like going in like, just on his face, like, I don't think this is going to give me any money. And it's like probably something that like someone in that position has to deal with uh, a bit. But yeah, that seems very funny. Although like, I don't think any bank teller is just going to tell you that there's a bottomless pit of money that you're getting this check from, but you know. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the beginning, and I guess it's because like, first of all, I'm not saying it takes a genius to know what goes into making a movie, but it kind of, you know, struck close to home when he walks into the rental company is like, oh, I'm not renting any of this. I'm buying all of it. And not only am I buying all of it, but I'm buying twice as much as that I need. And I'm like, just asking why? Like, why, why even go through with it if you're going to be... All I have to say is that I hope he used it as a tax write-off, honestly. Well, I mean, you're trying to get into the mind of someone that doesn't think rationally, so it's kind of a, a pointless endeavor. I do love the way that um, Hannibal Burris and Jason Manzukis, like, those are the two guys that are selling him the equipment, just to like, all right, well, we can clearly take advantage of this dude, so like, <laughs> let, let's see what we can do. And then, like, show him all of their, like, friends that they've worked with before, which is Seth Rogen, and then so on and so on. And uh, he's like, yeah, sure, I'll hire all of you. And like, oh, wow. Do, do you want to at least talk about the script? He's like, no, we'll do that later. Yeah, I think that, that follow-up is, is another favorite scene of mine, who he does these, like, quick little, like, oh, I'm John, you know, blah, 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 and I've worked on, you know, 47 movies. All right, cool, you're hired. So, all right. Um, the The... the I guess you would call them like the main crew, um, you know, like the part of the Seth Rogen crew that worked alongside Tommy for the with this. Um, I I feel like everyone was great, like all those actors um, were phenomenal in 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 the roles that they played. It's, I especially like the. Um, the woman who played the costume director, Charlene Yi, is yeah, Charlene Yi. It it was like, can I, can I just take away one belt, just just one belt? No, all the belts stay. Or then like, where were you? I needed you. She's like, you told me to go get ties. Well, he's like, well now we're late. And as the like the the DP was like, well we need five more minutes. She's like, no, now we shoot now. You know the the most famous scene in the room and this is the oh hi mark scene and it's like was kind of ruined by the trailer because that's like the most ubiquitous part of the trailer is just showing that i'm pretty like, sure thought, it's, i'm pretty sure it's even the cover of the dvd and it's like that was i saw that 50 times before i saw the movie and the funniest part of that is like seth rogan and dame uh, james frank or dave franco's reaction like once he actually got it right yeah um and I will say from that scene, though, you know, they do like 60 takes and then Dave Franco hands him a water bottle and he's like, you just need to do it like an actor. And James Franco, you know, Tommy's like, oh, like an actor. Why didn't you say that? It, it almost felt like he just wanted 
Greg to come up and say something nice to him and then he would do it for real. You know what I mean? Like their relationship is very strange. And, and, you know, I know we've, we've said this a lot, um, but how true are their relationship in real life? Apparently they talk to each other every day. I don't know how you could still be friends with the guy after, you know, the, the whole, the whole movie. Um, but their relationship is portrayed in the disaster artist is very odd, almost like this um, very dependent, at least on Tommy's part, this very like dependent on Greg. Yeah. I mean, so they allude a little bit and they joke with the fact that maybe Tommy was in love with Greg. And I don't really think that is the deal, but maybe Um, to me, it felt like Tommy I think Tommy is a little more self-aware than maybe we would give him credit for. I think he knows what he is and that maybe he's a little bit different, Um, especially the way James Franco plays him because he's kind of in on the joke a lot of times and then sometimes he isn't. But I think, so in the beginning, you know, Greg asks Tommy if he can do a scene with him and Tommy's like, why, why are you asking me? What do you want? It's almost like he feels like, why is someone approaching me to be and, and being nice to me? And I think it's because Tommy sees Greg as like his only friend. And so he doesn't want to lose him. And so it's, it comes off as like this possessive controlling thing, but it's really like, this is the only person in his life seemingly from, from the view we get. Right. Yeah. Um, It's still odd. It's still really weird. Well, it's also weird when Tommy is doing the nude scene and says, I want everyone, you know, we're not having a close set. I want everyone to see my ass. And then turns to Greg, I especially want you to see it. And Greg's like, why the hell do I need to see it? Yeah, there's there's many moments in The Disaster Artist that allude to like a um, homoerotic relationship between the two, or at least on, on Tommy's end of it. Um, but then they kind of do like a, a nod and a wink saying like, oh, it's not really that, you know. Um, and I have seen, you know, I have seen an interview with Tommy after or when the disaster artist was being made and he won't even really speak about Greg because he's like, that's my best friend and I can't, you know, I can't speak for him. He can only speak for himself. So it is like Tommy really seems to plutonically at least, or maybe not, but love Greg and like, you know, have deep like admiration, affection for him. I really like the way the disaster artist explains to us as you know people who have seen the room before how the shift of tone kind of changes in the room depending on how well or not well Tommy's life is going because as soon as Greg Sestero gets a girlfriend and is going to move in with his girlfriend it's like that ultimate betrayal and what I found funny is that in the room his character Johnny is getting betrayed by Mark played by Greg in cheating with Lisa, but in real life, it's kind of like the other way. Like Lisa is stealing Mark away from him. But the whole like, oh, you betray me, the world betrayed me, that kind of like runs along the same timeline of like what's actually happening in Tommy Wiseau's life at that moment. Well, right, and there's the one character, um, Robin, who plays Michelle in the, in the room, um, talks about how she thinks this whole thing is autobiographical because they all sitting at lunch and ask Mark like 
what the hell is this movie about? You know, because it's uh, Tommy's so secretive with like the script. Um, I do think we'd be remiss if we don't talk about the most famous scene in the room. Cause you know, we talked about the rooftop scene, but the sex scene. Right. I am so happy that they pointed out what everyone who has seen the room thought about that scene about like, he does know where the vagina is, right? <laughs> right. He's, he's, he's aiming a little high. She's like, do you want to go a little lower? He's like, no, this is how I do it. it, it that, that part does make me question, like, that's like a very hostile work environment, the way that was portrayed in the movie. And obviously, like, that may have gone on back then. Now, I think that would be a huge scandal if something like that happened, even on a shitty movie that no one really knows is being made. Um, Well, especially the part where, and again, I don't know if this is true, but he treated the actress who played Lisa really horribly. It's like, she's too ugly for me. Like, fix this makeup, come in here. It's like freckle or something, yeah. And then Raphael, who's played by Paul Shear, comes in like, you're a dead man. You keep talking about her like this. And then he fires him. And then they keep talking. And then Raphael's like, so am I still fired? And he's like, no, you get another chance. And I was like, why did you stay on at that point? I mean, like, what, what were your morals worth? You're just like, all right, well, I'll keep taking this, this guy's paycheck, I guess. Yeah, and what's really surprising is, you know, when you go into a, a movie, when you go into film a movie, you have your schedule already all laid out. You know exactly how many days it's going to take to shoot. And one of, the, one of my favorite th- aspects about this film is that they are they start out on the first day of shooting and the title card says, you know, shoot day one out of 40. And then as the movie goes, it's like shoot day 40 out of 40. And you're thinking the movie is coming to an end. And then the next title card reads shoot day 52 out of 40, 74 out of 40. And it's like, they go above and beyond not only the schedule, but what I have to imagine is the budget. I mean, that's assuming you think that there was a budget. I think the well, I mean, budget was just at, what if Tommy ever ran out of money. Just, just look at the film. The film was shot in one studio, had like four sets and maybe a couple outside, and they spent six fucking million dollars on it. Two alleys, one real, one fake for big Hollywood movie. The green screen on top of the rooftop is hilarious to me because you're, you're on this roof... You're on this rooftop where the only reason you wouldn't shoot on this rooftop, like an actual rooftop, apart from maybe safety, is that it's very windy up there. So you can't get good sound. However, they shoot in a studio with green screen. So you would have to assume they could get the sound that they need. But then you come to find out, as we did when we, we watched The Room, that the whole movie is dubbed. Specifically... Tommy's parts for sure. <clears throat> you know, if Bombach had shot that that scene on top of the building, he would have just found a random building, not asked any questions, and just ran up there real quick and got the scene. You know, not even yeah, paid just, for it. So. Yeah, exactly. Just snuck his uh, cast and crew of a hundred people up there. No one, no one bats an eye. You know what I? You know what I really? The part I really wanted to talk with you about, and then I realized it wasn't real, was the Malcolm in the Middle stuff. Uh-huh. But I still, like, from a movie-making perspective, like, what's Tommy going to do if Greg just is like, 
well, fuck it. I'm going to go do Malcolm in the Middle. And like, we've already filmed 60 days of me in this movie. So what are you even going to do? I mean, was Tommy crazy enough? It almost, you know, it just felt like a friendship test. Like, you know. It was totally a friendship test. Because, I mean, in the movie, he was going through his his moving out at that point. And also, maybe, I keep thinking, you know, all the defense that Greg gives Tommy and all the leeways and all the second chances has to do with not just how their relationship is with each other, but if Greg's not there, how is Tommy going to treat the rest of the cast and crew? Yeah, because Greg considers himself almost just a buffer to prevent Tommy from doing anything too horrible, like yelling at him that he has to add AC and has to buy water. And I love Tommy, like, Hollywood movies don't give you water. He's like, yes, they do. Yeah, they very much do. Oh, man. Um, when when this movie is you know coming towards the end of the film i think we talked we we talked about this earlier but because of the book that this movie is based on is written by greg and it makes sense for the whole movie to be from greg sestero's perspective during the premiere of the movie when they're all sitting in the theater and they're all watching the movie I feel like that entire scene is way more from Tommy Wiseau's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I do have some problems like with the way the movie ends and that scene in particular. But I think even though this was written from Greg Sestero's book, I do think there's a lot of it that has to be from Tommy's perspective that just doesn't make sense otherwise. Oh, the Judd, Judd Apatow scene, obviously. Well, no, just the fact that, you know, Greg in real life says he doesn't think that he never thought this was going to be a good movie. But in the movie, he's like, oh, yeah, I love the script. You wrote this. That's amazing, Tommy. You did it. Um, I mean, maybe he just lied to him because he felt like he needed to, I guess. But getting to the last scene. So. You know, it's it the it's funny. I love the like pulling up with the limo and then driving back around. Like that part's great. Right. Although the one woman's line, Robin, like Tommy Wiseau, everybody I thought was a little on the nose and like, you know, whatever. Um, I love like the playing of the movie. I love the people talking. I love um, the the girl that plays Lisa Ari Grainer is is so great in this movie like in her role it's not that big but she she does a really great job with it i love her like commentary of just like oh my god this is still going which is like every person who first watches the room is like this movie's still happening like this is still this is real the casting in i'm backing way up here because i feel like we just missed it but when they were doing the casting scene for lisa and and Dave and James Franco, you know, playing their characters. I, I could tell they're having really like fun with it. Um, <laughs> but that's what, that was one of my favorite movie. My favorite scenes is that they're giving these directions for these Lisa care character to these actresses. And each one comes at it at such a weird perspective, but somehow still not as weird as Tommy. 
Yeah, I mean that the, those scenes felt completely like ad libbed, and just like we're gonna pretend to do a scene, and then James and Dave just kind of said funny stuff as their characters. Yeah, more. That, more what are you a cowboy? Less cowboy, and then they, and she was more that, southern. That girl was great. They should have hired her as Lisa. Although the Lisa they had was great. Um, but then back to the screening, I love Seth Rogen's like, oh, a second credit scene. And then Tommy turns to Dave Franco like, yeah, I have two logos for my movie. And the whole thing is great. The way they're showing it, the people talking to each other. And then they start laughing at the movie. And then the laughter builds. And then it's just this like fake, almost like Carrie type laughing. They're all going to laugh at me. Just like everyone watching something that is the funniest thing they've ever seen which is like no matter how much you love the room for being bad is not the reaction you have the first time you see it and you know what's crazy and i think this is kind of what you meant by some of it being in greg's perspective and then some of it being in tommy's is that some of the reaction from people in tommy's life is so unreal on how like a normal person would react and correct me if I'm wrong, but like Greg saying, Oh, it's a great script. And then the people laughing like maniacally at his movie, it's almost like the way he heard it, the way he heard it from his, like inside his head. And then I also just thought the, the ending is like a little too neatly wrapped up. The it's like, that they they needed to end this movie the way they thought would just be the like the easiest and um it didn't like exactly work for me i don't think it takes away much from the movie the movie's still pretty like pretty funny and great and if you've seen the room like it's you know it works well with that um but i did throughout the second watch especially just like what was the point this movie was trying to make um was this like a friendship movie or was like, I, I, I couldn't like, not that every movie has to have like some great takeaway, but I didn't get really much from this except like you guys love the room. So let's do a movie about the making of it. I mean, it could have been a friendship movie. It could have been a biography movie, you know, to its core. For me, the theme throughout the movie was kind of like this, not humility, but like thinking that you're not good enough, like the inspir the aspiration to be good enough. You know, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I tried and that was my attempt. You gave me your best shot. Thanks. And I appreciate that. The last thing though, is I do like, and this is once again wrapped up too neatly, but I do like uh, the Tommy Why So line at the end. Thank you for laughing at my comedic movie exactly as I intended it. Um, and then cutting to the the side-by-side credits of just like The Room versus this. Just once again, for people who didn't see The Room, but it's still great for if you did. Uh, so it's my favorite part. It's so good. It's so good. And how they get the timing right and everything. And who they got to play everyone, even like the tiny side characters and the background characters. So... I told you about this before we recorded. Um, I had this idea initially because I was thinking, you know, James Franco directed this, produced it, and uh, starred in it, which is kind of similar to the ending when the guy introduces Tommy to introduce the room. 
right. like the director, producer, writer, and star. Um, I guess James didn't write this, but I was thinking, like, was Dave Franco right for this part as Greg slash Mark? And the reason I thought about that is because, you know, it's his brother, and Dave Franco has, like, a very specific way of talking and mannerisms. And if you've seen a bunch of his stuff, it's like hard to kind of get that out of your head. Right. And also because we don't know anything about it's it's weird. Like this is a, a a biopic about people we think we know, but you don't really know anything about Tommy Wiseau. And you definitely know way less about Greg Sestero, really, in real life, like who those people actually are. Um, you've seen him act horribly in the room as Mark. Um and so it's like, it's hard to figure out if he did a good job of it. I did read a little bit that um, Greg Sestero thinks Frank, Dave Franco was great in it and that he, you know, talked with him and, you know, worked on honing the character or whatever. But this made me think, one, would there be someone you would have cast different than Dave Franco? And I didn't really have an answer for that. I think um, Greg jokingly said, if you did The Room, he would like uh, Ryan Gosling to play him. And I think a young Ryan Gosling actually would be perfect. I could see like a young Ryan Gosling, young Brad Pitt. Cause you know, Greg Sister is a, is a good looking guy. Um, and, and the thing about Dave Franco, who's also a very good looking guy. However, if you're going to do the casting, there's just no way to make Dave Franco nine more inches taller than he actually is. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, it's somewhat important for the character to look like. So the thing we're about to do is I gave you this basically assignment. Imagine, if you will, that a writer got a hold of this script and was able to turn this movie into something that was perfectly written for a director to do and who would be your main cast for it. And, and what I mean by that is like, the, the basics of this story are, if I can summarize Tommy's vision, is that Johnny has the perfect life with this girl, Lisa, and he has his best friend, Mark. And then he basically starts losing it all because he may or may not have hit Lisa. And Lisa also may or may not have cheated on him. Uh, Johnny seems to mentor this young boy, Denny, who, uh, has a run-in because he owes money to a uh, to a, a street tough, and then also Johnny seems to have this group of guy friends, um, uh-huh. and one of his guy friends has sex in his apartment all the time for some reason, and this all falls apart, and in the end, Johnny kills himself. So if you take that basic story and make it good, and give it to a director and the cast you would like to do it what would you choose? So I gave this some thought, um, not a lot of thought because I feel like I came up with my answers quite quickly. Um, Cause just thinking about like the scope of the project and who would, you know, best characterize and, and kind of flesh out these um, characters and, and themes and motifs. So we'll start with Lisa. Um, I have to go and see Lisa as like a, like a Zoe Dush, Doach, or Deutsch, Deutsch or like um, like a young Scarlett Joe. 
So I put Scarlett Johansson, and I was, we don't, we do not get an answer on this, but so Greg is 19, about 22, 23 when he films The Room. Uh-huh. So you just assume that's supposed to be his age. In uh, people who've like tried to research and figure out who the hell Tommy Wiseau is, um, they estimate that he was about 47 when The Room was made. Okay. Um, which is also funny too, because he sort of admits in an interview that he was doing with Jimmy Kimmel and James Franco that he's from Europe and James Franco freaked out a little bit. Cause he's like, Oh shit, we have this whole marketing around people not knowing who you are. And we end the movie that way, which I thought was funny. Cause that's also like, they totally tried to like create this room type atmosphere with this viral marketing for the disaster artist. But I actually thought ScarJo even now could have been pretty perfect for the Lisa character. Because I think she should be a little bit older than Greg. Right. ScarJo's probably like, I don't know how old she is, like late 30s, maybe right at 40. I think she's not that old. She's not in her 40s yet, I don't think. But you know who could also be good would be like a, a Margot Robbie. And, and mostly I'm saying that because she is big right now. But the hair, the attitude, and the kind of like the situation I could see her doing well in. No, yeah, that that is one too that I that I think would work. And ScarJo is only thirty six, so I actually think she would still be kind of perfect for this. I mean, Franco's playing ten years younger than himself because he's like thirty when he's when he's filming this. The other people I had is Florence Pugh, and I'm kind of going off looks too. I think you need to a little bit look like the role. Yeah, but I've also seen Florence Pugh like do a role where she kind of was like in a semi-abusive relationship possibly and then like cheats on her abuser so like maybe that worked for me jennifer lawrence i think would be a great lisa especially (sighs) the especially the drunk scene in the beginning you know i i I thought about jennifer lawrence i think she's a little too intense i feel like lisa is a little bit more like softer and then the last one i thought about was brie larson okay no way too intense Maybe. I think she could handle it. And plus you have the room, room, uh, you know, synergy. Oh, yeah. And so I think that would be pretty great. I think ScarJo is who I land on as being perfect for this. That would be my choice of ScarJo. But I think any of the others could, could work pretty well. All right. So what do, you, what do you think about Mark? Well, you do your Mark first. You want me to do? Okay. So my Mark would probably be like... Um... Blake Jenner. I think Blake Jenner would be really good. What has Blake Jenner been in? Uh, Everybody Wants Some. He's the main character. Oh, okay. Or like, or like even Glenn Powell, who's also in Everybody Wants Some, because um, I, I feel like they're right at that right age, and they're both like that baby face kind of they're, they must be in their like late 20s, early 30s, but they can still play the hell out of like a college guy, you know? I think you might be a little bit tipping your director, but I don't want to say anything yet. Oh, I'm um, 100% tipping my director. <laughs> we, might, we might agree that I had, so I already mentioned young Ryan Gosling. I think if he was 30 or below right now, he'd be absolutely perfect. How old is Ryan Gosling? But I think he would be. You're 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 talking about Ryan Gosling in the beginning of the Notebook. 
I'm definitely not talking about James Garner, yes. But Ryan Gosling, no, I think... I'm just, you know what I'm talking about. So Ryan Gosling is exactly 40, and so it wouldn't work. I had Tom Holland, which I think the babyface part of is a little perfect. Yeah, and um, he's the same height as Dave Franco, so that works. Yeah, the height thing is an issue. I think also because Greg Testero is a good-looking dude, and so that's why Ryan Gosling works really well for that. Um, I had Logan Lerman. I recently watched uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, and I think he's kind of very underrated. He also seems a little short, um, but he would I think he would do well. I don't know what he would look like with blonde hair, and this person has to have blonde hair. You know what's interesting too is the fact that we're really talking about how you could cast Greg Sestero and not so much the character of Mark in the room because the Mark in the room at a character base is like this like naive shy guy who doesn't know when like a woman is like blatantly hitting on him he also doesn't know when his like friend is like obviously crazy and taking advantage you know what? Never mind. We are casting for Greg Sestero, so forget everything I just said. So I have three more um, leading up to my pick. So for, for Mark? Yeah, Joe okay. Keery. Oh, uh, Joe Keery would be good. Yeah, I mean, the hair and just like, I think he'd be really great in it. Lucas Hedges, who is I, in Manchester by the Sea and Three Billboards. Okay. And Lady Bird. Which I don't, you've seen Three Billboards and I don't know if you've seen Manchester by the Sea, but you have not seen Lady Bird. He would be pretty perfect. He doesn't necessarily have the look. But my choice would be Miles Teller. I, I don't see it. I can't see it. It's not necessarily, I mean, although the height's there, but I think he's a good-looking dude. I think he would have the, the hair. I think he would just play the part really well, though. Especially a little bit like the way Dave Franco plays it as like this. I think he can play like the internal character and not very sure of himself, which I'm thinking of kind of like Whiplash. Like, I think he would be just great in the role as the Mark slash Greg. Um, do you want to do your Johnny or do you want to let me go first? You go first on Johnny and then I get to go first on directors. Okay, that's fair. Um, Cause I think we pretty much agree on, on directors. Um, okay. So I was actually thinking Johnny Depp would be good. Cause he's just, he plays such a weird, uh, I guess I'll do kind of like you did with Mark and it's like my honorable mentions, but um, Johnny Depp would be really good because he always knows how to play that just really weird out there kind of guy. Um, but then again, I don't think the scope of what the room is, is right for him. I'm also thinking like maybe um, Robert Downey Jr. Cause he knows how to play these really weird eccentric guys. But my ultimate pick for Johnny slash Tommy Wiseau would have to be Jared Leto. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's good. I, I don't have a single one you have, which is really funny. Oh, that's and fun. John, okay. And I think Johnny Depp's the most obvious. So my wife, I asked her, and she said without missing a beat, Sean Penn, if he was younger. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that's absolutely perfect. That's amazing. A young Sean Penn. I see it. And then I thought, not for looks, but playing weird as hell, a young Christopher Walken would be great just playing the character. The look is not there that much. Right. Um, I would like Colin Farrell, but he's way too good looking. Yeah. But he could, as we could, as we're about to see in the Batman, he can do prosthetics and look not great. Um, and then I thought Mark Ruffalo is probably like my second as far as like honorable mentions of like, I think he would do really well in that. 
You know, I think Mark Ruffalo was somewhere on my list. He didn't make it because I always, I can't, he's too like a, the down earth type of guy for me, you know? I can see that. My number one pick, and I'm surprised you didn't think of this, is Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, of course. Like, of Joaquin course. Joaquin Phoenix would be perfect for this role, especially like the age and just like he would, he would do it so well. No, I, I 100% see it. And the reason I picked Jared Leto is because Jared Leto has a sort of way where I feel like in the same vein that Tommy Wiseau is this like arrogant air of mystery to him, I feel like Jared, is a, J- Jero, Jared Leto is a lot in the same way as that. No, yeah, I agree. Um, so let's move on to directors where I'm going to pontificate for a while um, before we just both say Richard Linklater. But I was thinking about this, and you and I obviously have like a lot of the same favorite directors, but like the type of movie you're going to necessarily give to Scorsese, and like what is Quentin Tarantino going to do with The Room? Although he would probably just love the challenge. Um, and I thought about Ryan Johnson because I just love his movies, but he, he seems a little more high concept than this. So, like, if you change the script around enough to gear towards any of them, obviously, you know, it's fine. Sure. Um, I thought about Danny Boyle, because he's one of my favorites, and he did Slumdog Millionaire. He does, like, he did Sunshine, and he did the the Steve Jobs movie with Fassbender. Um, I think he would be a great choice. I also really love Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes? Sam Mendes, um, yeah. Whose latest was 1917, but he does, like, a lot of, he did American Beauty, he did one of my favorite movies, Away We Go. He does like a lot of just like kind of character dramas. And so I think he would be perfect. But um, your girlfriend Taylor's favorite movie, Everybody Wants Some, director Richard Linklater is obviously the perfect choice to do like this type of movie, I think. So I, when I saw Blake Jenner, because I looked up, you know, actors under 30, Blake Jenner came up and then Glenn Powell came up and I was like, oh, they would both be really good. And they're both in Everybody Wants Some. And I think Blake Jenner's even in Richard Linklater's uh, newest film coming out in like 20 years. But uh, the, the point, the thing about Richard is that he does these movies that are so based in real life and he does it so well, like the most mundane scene can come off as incredibly interesting, but also really revealing to what the character is which I feel like for a movie like The Room, that's really needed in there. Right. But he's not my top pick. Oh, wow. I think if you threw in for the character of Tommy Wiseau, Johnny, Johnny's character, if you threw in a father character, I think Noah Baumbach could direct the hell out of this movie. That's a really good choice too. And also if you're just going to have Joaquin Phoenix do it, he'd probably want Paul Thomas Anderson to direct it anyway. Honestly, if you have Noah Baumbach direct it, you just make Adam Driver Johnny. Well, Adam Driver's in the movie for sure if Baumbach's <laughs> directing it, right? He's the, guy, ben, he's the guy who has sex on the couch when he's not home. Ben Stiller is Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so of course, obviously Scarlett Joe is Lisa. Yeah, Scarlett Joe is for sure Lisa. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's how we should have done it. We should have picked the director and then cast the specific 
ca uh, characters by which director is directing this? Well, the, the unfortunate part about all of this casting that we just did is like, no one is ever going to touch this movie with a 10 foot pole. Right. Um, but that does take us back to, I think the disaster artist for taking something like the room and turning it into, into something like this with maybe the minor problems I had with it is a pretty amazing feat. And it was a great movie. And there are parts of it that I would watch all the time over like the filming of the room. So for that, I can say this was like, was a really great movie and it is something I really enjoyed. I think there's a love that you have to have with, with, you know, bad movies that are so bad that internally they create this uh, cult following. And for what they did with it, I think it's probably like huge fans of the room probably couldn't ask for anything better. Or, you know, maybe they hated it. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like the room. So I, I ended up enjoying the disaster artist quite a bit. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And I finally watched the disaster artist.